There's nothing more important in life than to learn everything we can about temptation. If handled the wrong way, it can cause great turmoil. This message is the fifth in the series, Talk to Me. The message is entitled, Prayers That Overcome Temptation. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we get ready to study uh, this continuing series of messages called Talk to Me. I'm talking about, actually teaching about in this uh, new year, uh, prayer. How do we engage in prayer? Prayer is one of the most important parts of your spiritual life and spiritual journey because in your prayer is where you develop your relationship with God because really prayer is communion with God, communication with Him, and every relationship is formed and sustained by good communication. And so we're talking about how do we talk to God? How do we really learn to pray more effectively? And I want to talk this weekend about prayers that overcome temptation in your life. How do you pray in ways that help you to conquer temptation that comes to you? as a Christian. Uh, The Christian life in and of itself, when you and I enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, we enter into spiritual battle. There's no question about it. You're you're entering into spiritual warfare, and there's an adversary that you have called the devil. He's a very real personality of evil. Don't ever think the devil doesn't exist. He does exist. He exists to trip and, 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 and attack us in a variety of ways to keep us from being effective for God. So Satan, the enemy, the, the adversary, the devil works against us as Christians. And one of the primary ways that Satan will work in your life is through something called temptation. And in just a moment, I'll define temptation very specifically for you. But I want you to know that as a believer, it's extremely important that you learn everything you can about temptation because it's one of the primary tools of the adversary to trap you. So you have to learn what temptation is all about and how to properly handle it because if you don't handle temptation the right way, it has a lot of adverse effects upon your life. Obviously, one wrong move in your life can really devastate you significantly. Yielding to temptation can make a huge difference in where your life ends up. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came and tempted them to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of humanity turned on their one choice of what they did with temptation in that moment. David, King David, at the peak of his life as one of the kings of Israel, his life turned in a very different direction because he yielded to temptation. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, his life turned in a very terrible situation and circumstance because he yielded to the temptation of covetousness. Peter himself found himself in trouble because of his own yielding to the fact that he denied the Lord. And so there are lots of stories in the Bible and experiences from each of our lives where we can say, you know what, I wish I'd not done that. Anybody say amen to that? I wish I'd not done that. I wish I would have been more aware. I wish I'd handled that temptation better. And so we want to learn how to handle temptation the right way. And the Bible teaches us that when temptation comes your way, there's, some, there's proactive action. There's things that you do that will help you to actually handle it God's way. And one of those things that you must learn to do is you have to learn how to pray about temptation and pray your way through temptation. Jesus made this very clear uh, in, his, in his prayer that he taught us to pray called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Would you read this together with me? He said, pray like this and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus said, when you pray, make sure you include prayer about temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil. In fact, with his disciples, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane with him, as Jesus was fighting that battle about what would happen in his crucifixion, and he's wanting to kind of not, not go through this thing, he's battling this thing in his own uh, humanity, and he tells his disciples, Peter, James, and John, these words in Matthew 26, 41, watch and 
pray, notice that, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus said one of your major tools, one of the weapons you will use against temptation is prayer. You have to learn how to pray your way through temptation, the strong emphasis on prayer. And so how do we pray our way through temptation? What role does prayer play in helping us to conquer temptation? I'm going to share with you this weekend five things that will help you to understand how to pray your way through temptation. Number one, the first thing is we must understand that prayer gives us a key word here is discernment to see temptation. When you're praying, you have more discernment. Discernment is the ability to see things that you would not normally see, see into things that you would not recognize otherwise. So so often we're blinded by the temptations that come our way, but prayer makes you much more sensitive to God. And so prayer is the ability to see things that you would not see, gives you the capacity to do that because temptation is a very subtle thing. It's a very attractive thing. It's a very deceptive thing. Temptation is a a tailor-made thing. The enemy knows where your weaknesses are. The temptation is very common. Constant and, 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 and it really presses in upon your life and always blinds you to consequences. You never see what the end of the story is going to be. So, so temptation is very subtle, so we need discernment to be able to recognize it. What is temptation? Temptation is an appeal to three things. You may want to write this down, an appeal to do something that is sinful, something that is wrong. By wrong, I mean unethical or a violation of, of godly principles or values, or thirdly, unwise. The enemy will come along and subtly, in a deceptive way, try to trap you and trick you to do something that is sinful, something that is wrong, that is unethical, violates godly principles and values, or unwise. Sometimes something may not necessarily be wrong, but it's unwise. And the enemy will trap you with a lack of wisdom as well. Now, most of us, when we think about Satan coming and tempting us, we have this tendency to think of it in sort of dramatic terms, as though Satan just sort of shows up in his red suit with a pitchfork and uh, says, hi, I'm here, the devil, I'm the devil, I'm going to really mess your life up. He never shows up that way. He doesn't show up in a red suit with a pitchfork. He may show up with a red dress, but not a red suit, okay? (laughs) But you have to be aware of this. He doesn't just show up in your life and say, I'm here to destroy you. He comes in a very, very subtle ways. That's why you need discernment, the capacity to see beyond what is evident on the outside. Very deceptive, the enemy is. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to how the Bible describes Satan, the serpent. The serpent was more, what's the word there? Crafty. Is it on the screens? Help me out here, everybody. The, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So he's very deceptive. He's very alluring in the way that he works in your life. John 8, 44 says it this way. Jesus speaking to the leaders, uh, the, the religious leaders of his time, he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, there you see that word, when he lies, he speaks his native language, For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so the enemy is never going to come and tell you the truth. He always lies. He's deceptive. He's crafty. He's a liar. James 1, 12 through 16 describes this craftiness of the adversary. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Notice that, enticed, something attractive that entices. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, the warning is don't be deceived. This is sort of a fishing analogy here. Satan cast out the lure, and the lure looks attractive, and it catches our attention, and we go after that lure, and we bite into it, and then we're hooked and dragged away into sin. And so it's something to be on guard against. Peter also reminds us of this in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, what I want you to see today is if you never pray or you don't pray very often, you spend very little time in prayer, you're not going to have the discernment to see past the craftiness of the adversary. He's going to trap you in ways that you otherwise would not be trapped had you have more discernment. And so prayer gives you the ability to be prepared for that. Matthew 26, 41 says it this way again, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The second thing today, prayer also gives us what I would call discretion to avoid temptation. So discernment to see temptation, discretion to avoid it. So two words, discernment, discretion. Say them with me. Discernment and discretion. You need to be aware of both of those words. Discernment, see what you otherwise wouldn't see. Discretion is wisdom. It's the wisdom to do things that will help you to avoid getting in circumstances where you will be tempted. See, in our lives, there are times that we go places, we expose ourselves to things, we open up our lives in unnecessary ways to temptation that we actually could avoid if we were wiser. There's some places it's just not wise for you to go. There's some things it's not wise for you to look at. There's some things and conversations that are not wise to have. There's certain things that just are not wise. And if you, are more, you have more discretion, more wisdom, then you will stay away from things that can get you into trouble. And it doesn't matter how many years you've been a Christian, you can still get into trouble. Because the enemy doesn't lay down after you've been a Christian 30 years or 40 years. I'm not going to bother with you anymore. You're, this thing called temptation is something you will experience your entire Christian experience. It may come in different forms to you over the years, but all of us have to deal with temptation. And you, you and I need some wisdom to stay away from things that will get you into trouble. And discretion is that ability, and prayer will increase your discretion. It will help you to be aware more of things that you can that will help you to avoid the wrong patterns and the wrong decisions with your life. Let's talk about David for a moment, King David. Most of you know the story of King David where he had that terrible fall in his life. He has one of the darkest moments in David's life when he sinned with Bathsheba. But what I want you to see today is had David been a little bit wiser, he would have never gotten into trouble. All, that would, all he needed to keep him from that horrible moment in his life was a little more wisdom a little more discretion. Let me take you to the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, and I hope that this passage will be a warning for us today and an instruction for us today. Listen closely. In the spring, when the kings normally went out to war, David sent out Joab. That's a very important statement. So the kings were supposed to be out in battle, but instead of David going out to battle, what did he do? He sent somebody else. So he sent Joab. 
his servants, and all the Israelites. They destroyed the Ammonites and attacked the city of Rabbah. But David, what did he do? He stayed in Jerusalem. Where should he have been? On the battlefield, but what did he do instead? He stayed back at home in comfort. So there was an assignment he should have been fulfilling, and he was derelict in his duties. He was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The right place would have been on the battlefield leading his troops, but instead he's staying back in Jerusalem. First wrong decision. He lacked wisdom. His comfort as king had led him to, again, pass things on that he should not have passed on. And then one evening, now he's back in Jerusalem, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. Mistake number two. Because David had been on the rooftop before, and David knew what you can see from a rooftop. And it's nighttime, and David understood, you know, I can see things from here. And he goes up on the rooftop. It's a bad decision. He's where he should not be. So he's in Jerusalem at the wrong time in the wrong place. And he makes this decision to go to the rooftop. And as he's on the rooftop, well, the inevitable is going to happen. While he was on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. And so he sees Bathsheba. And here's the third mistake he makes. He is looking now at her. And so his look is going to lead to lust. And so he's at the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. And then he looks out and sees the wrong thing and he's taken by it, and his look now is going to turn to lust. What David should have done at that moment, had he been wise, he should have gone back to bed. Sometimes the wisest thing you can do is go back to bed because bad things happen in the darkness of night. Sometimes in night you do things you, you wouldn't do in the daylight. And David is in the, in the midst of a night, and he's facing this temptation of his soul, So David sent his servants. Here's the next mistake he made. David sent his servants to find out who she was. He didn't want to know just who she was. You see the trail now? Step by step, he's walking into a trap. At any point in time, David could have stopped prior to stepping into the trap had his wisdom kicked in, right? You all with me here? Okay. Had his wisdom kicked in, at any point in time, he could have reversed everything. He said, whoa, time out. I can't do this. I'm going back to bed. I shouldn't be doing it. But he did not do that. And so he now asked asked her name. A servant answered. That woman is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So now is the next mistake. He hears that she's married. Now, you thought he just failed to Bathsheba. No, he failed step by step. See, there's steps in the process of temptation that lead us to the trap that uh, the enemy has set for us. So David sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to him. When she came to him, he had sexual relations with her. Now, Bathsheba had purified herself from her monthly period. Then she went back to her house, but Bathsheba became pregnant and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So now we've got a major scandal in the palace all because David had not used wisdom along the way. He made a series of unwise choices. Dear ones, let me remind you today that one of the greatest things that you can have is discretion in your life. And discretion comes by studying this book called the Bible. Discretion comes by spending time with God in prayer. Discretion comes by hanging around with people who are wiser than you are so that you can learn some of their wisdom along the way. But you and I need discretion to deal with and to conquer temptation. Proverbs 2, verse 11. Let me ask you to all to read it with me. All in Frederick and Gaithersburg here, aloud and loudly. Read it. Here we go. 
Proverbs 2.11, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Do you want to be protected? What do you need? Discretion and understanding will guard your life. Number three, third thing, prayer gives us determination to flee from temptation. So we have discernment, discretion, determination. Say them with me. Discernment, discretion, determination. Prayer provides these three things for you. Determination is you make up your mind. There's a resolve in you that when temptation comes your way and you recognize it for what it is, you're going to run away from it. Because sometimes in life you can make the wisest choices and temptation will still be there. So you can't avoid all temptation. Temptation is going to be around you because we live in a broken world where the adversary is at work. And so sometimes even though the temptation is there and you recognize it for what it is and you've made wise choices along the way, you still have to determine what you're going to do in the face of the temptation. And the best thing you can do is flee. The best best thing you can do is run away from it. That's what the Bible teaches us to do when temptation comes knocking on our door. Let's take a look at Joseph for a moment, one of the great characters of the Old Testament. Joseph Uh, obviously had a dream given to him by God, and this dream was that he was going to be the ruler one day, but he finds himself first and foremost in the house of Potiphar, who is an Egyptian uh, captain, and now Joseph is the slave in his household, and and Potiphar's wife takes a, a liking to Joseph. More than that, takes the lusting to Joseph. She wants Joseph because he's a handsome young man, and He's trying to, she's trying to find a way to allure him and seduce him into a relationship with her, an adulterous relationship. And the Bible tells us what happened here. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 39, verses 11 and 12, what transpired. One day, he, that's Joseph, went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, that's Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with us. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Everybody say, yay, Joseph. Right? Way to go, buddy. Here's the story. Joseph is in the house. He's by himself. The wife is there, and she says, this is my opportunity. Nobody's around, so I'm going re- to do a strong come on to this guy right now. This is my time, my moment, and she did that very thing. And you must understand that Joseph was a regular guy. He was dealing with, he, he had, he, this was a temptation to him. It was not as though Joseph didn't care. He, he felt the pull of this because he was a normal human being, a normal man. But he made a decision that when she came on to him that he said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this because I have a relationship with God and I have a relationship with my master that's overseeing. I'm not going to violate that. And the Bible says that as soon as she came after him, he turned around and left his coat cloak in her hand, which means she was actually aggressively going after him and left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. There's only one mistake that, David, that Joseph made in this situation. He didn't take his coat with him. Just always remember, when you run, take your coat, okay? Okay. Because that that cloak left behind was her way of creating this false accusation against him. But he flees the situation. That's what you have to do. You have to have a determination. There was something in Joseph that gave him the determination to say, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth, 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. James 4, 7 and 8, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You ought to say hallelujah about that verse, okay, those two verses. The Bible says that when you are in temptation, submit yourself to God. Yield yourself to God, and then resist the devil. Not resist the temptation, but resist the one who is behind the temptation. That is, you take a stand against the adversary by the power of Jesus' name and the power of Jesus' blood. And the Bible says that if you will resist the devil, what will he do? He will flee from you. I've told you before the word resist there in the original language is where we get our word antihistamine from. It's the same Greek word. Antihistamine is what works against the histamines in your body when you have allergic reactions. And so antihistamine, that is resist. Put up a resistance against the adversary, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, that is by prayer, by fellowship, by communion, and he will come near or draw near to you. First Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9. Again, we're told what to do. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What's the phrase there again? Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So when temptation is pressing down upon you, you and I need to pray, pray. Come away with the determination to escape, to leave that situation. I didn't mention it a moment ago, but I'll draw your attention just briefly here to the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says, no temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. Everybody, in other words, everybody experiences temptation, right? No temptation has taken you, but what is common to man. But God is faithful, who will with every temptation always provide a way of escape. Wow, isn't that great? That with every temptation... He gives you a way of escape. The Greek word for escape there is where we actually get our English word exit. It's the same word, escape or an exit. In this building today, in the Frederick campus today, if you'll look around the, the worship center, you'll see that there are exit signs in various places. Why? Because if this environment here, if the Frederick environment, if there was trouble happening in, inside this particular room, we would know the way out, Right? That's why we have exit signs there. Get out this way. This is the safe passage out. Well, what you must understand is that anytime you're going through temptation, there's always an exit sign somewhere. The problem is most people don't look for the exit sign. And so you have to look around and say, Where, where's the exit sign? And one of the exit signs is prayer. I will tell you, if you start praying in the midst of temptation, you can't fellowship with God and sin at the same time. If you draw near to God and he starts drawing near to you, you're going to begin to have a change in your perspective, a change in your attitude. So prayer is one of your ways of escape. The fourth thing, fourth lesson today is that prayer gives us dedication that reduces our vulnerability to temptation. It's a long statement, but I'm going to break it apart for you in just a moment. Write it down. Prayer gives us the dedication that reduces our vulnerability to temptation. Please remember something. You will never... Again, I'll say it an additional time. Must understand this. Everybody's going to be tempted at some time by something your whole life. You never mature beyond the point of being tempted. No matter how long you're a Christian, again, the temptations may change over time, but you're going to always be tempted to do something that is sinful, 
something that is wrong or something that is unwise your whole life. That's why we, we, bat, we fight this battle our whole life. One of the things that, help you, that will help you to become less vulnerable to these temptations is by increasing your dedication to God. The more you fall in love with God, the less attractive temptation becomes to you, right? Because if I love God more, then whatever comes my way, my love for God is going to help me say no to sin, right? My understanding of the grace of God in my life will give me the power to say no to sin. And so what you want to do in your life experience with God is grow your dedication to Him because the, the stronger you are and the more, more completely dedicated you are to God, again, the greater strength you will have and actually it will produce less vulnerability in you. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Notice the dedication in his heart and life to God. He's learned his lessons now, the psalmist David did, after his fall with Bathsheba. And he writes these words, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. That's prayer. I'm seeking you with all my heart. Do not let me stray. That is, don't let me fall into temptation. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. As I will not go against your word. I will stay firm in my commitment to you, God. So when you and I make a decision to grow our, our dedication to God, it gives us power. Power against temptation. I'll give you another story here before we wrapping up with our final points. The story of Daniel. Anybody remember Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel was taken away from Jerusalem into a Babylonian culture that was very wicked. I mean, sin is everywhere. The Babylonians did not know anything about worshiping the one true God. And so Daniel is brought into the, into the king's palace, and he's going to be made into one of the king's assistants. He's, he's being trained by the king of Babylon. And so a lot of pressure comes on Daniel to conform to Babylonian ways. Be like the culture. By the way, folks, we still face that pressure in our lives. Be like the culture. Let me tell you something about Christianity. You're not supposed to be like the culture. Christianity is countercultural. Okay? We're in the world but not out of the world. And so Daniel was in Babylon, but he was not supposed to be of Babylon. He was different in his commitment to God. And so because he had this dedication to God that was phenomenal, that was outstanding, that was extraordinary, in this dedication to God, when the king tried to put pressure on him to conform to Babylonian ways, what did Daniel do? He did not yield to that temptation. The Scripture says in Daniel 1, verse 8, Daniel resolved that he had the determination, the dedication, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked for permission that he would not have to defile himself that way. And, of course, we know the story that after he made that decision, the king gave him favor and allowed him to do so, and he became one of the wisest and the strongest leaders in Babylon while he maintained his conviction with God. So make the decision to grow your relationship with God. The last thing I want to share with you today is that prayer gives us direction when you fail the test of temptation. When you fail the test of temptation, prayer is still needed because it will give you the direction you need to respond the right way. Let me talk to you heart to heart just for a moment, straight up here. I'm going to be as straight with you as I can today. While we need to avoid temptation and stay away from temptation and not yield to temptation, not backing away from that at all, the reality is you're going to fail sometimes. That's just the truth. Because there's not a single person here in this room that is perfect, right? 
Anybody want to just agree with me right now? Gaithersburg, Frederick, just to say, you know, at least a little bit this week, I messed up somewhere. Go ahead and raise your hand right there. Come on. Only half of you? Well, that's amazing, okay? Incredible. My hand's up. Somewhere along the line, attitude, thought, word, something this week was not right what it should have been with God, right? And so what we must realize is how do I deal with it when I, when, I don't, when I don't make the mark, when I miss the mark, when I fail, when temptation tests me and I fail the test, what do I do then? How do I handle it? And by the way, let me also say I'm not encouraging you to fail. I'm not saying that failure is just an okay thing to do. I'm just acknowledging the reality that sometimes you are going to miss the mark, sometimes you are going to fail. You need to know what to do when you do, and prayer is a part of that. I've told this story before, and please excuse me if you've heard it. Uh, I do think it illustrates the point I want to make today, and hopefully it will reinforce it for you. A number of years ago, for the very first time and the last time in my life, I went snow skiing. One time. I grew up where people water skied. They didn't snow ski. And so I, I was, first time, probably 10 or 15 years ago, I went snow skiing. A pastor drug me there. Okay. And I'm, at, I'm on the slopes, and so he says, you know, I'm going to buy you some lessons. I thought, I need them? Okay. And so I get in a little group for snow skiing lessons. There's probably five or six of us in the group. And the lady instructor that is there is trying to start instructing us in the basics of how to snow ski. You know, how to use your, your skis, where to place them, how to, which, do you lean forward? I can't remember backwards, whichever way you're supposed to lean with snow skiing. And she's teaching us all this stuff. And literally, folks, about every 15 to 20 seconds, I fall down in the class. I mean, I can't even stand up on my skis, okay? And this happens about five or six times. I know that she's getting frustrated with me, and I'm getting frustrated with the situation because I'm just like, down again, okay? Down again. I get back up. I mean, it's, it's, I'm telling you the truth, exactly what happened, okay? Down again, okay? So finally, I, just, I get so frustrated. I said, stop the class. Time out. Ma'am, if I'm going to go any further in this class, you're going to have to teach me how to get up when I fall because it is not easy to get up from snow skis. Anybody ever had that experience before? Okay. How, how do you get up? You got these long things on you, okay? You got this pole in your hand. Your rat, it was about 10 degrees outside, so I'm like a snowman wrapped up with this stuff. How do you get up when you fall? And one of the first lessons I wanted to learn was, look, I know today I'm going to spend a lot of time down there. Okay, so would you please tell me how to get up? And she stopped the whole class and gave me an individual lesson on how to get up when you fall down. I'm so thankful for it because I used that the whole day, okay? <laughs> Made the difference in my day. But sometimes you just have to have a teacher that teaches you what to do when you fall down, right? So can I be your snow ski instructor just for a moment? Can I teach you what you do when you fall down? You pray. Prayer is the God-given pathway to forgiveness. Prayer is the God-given pathway to restoration when you yield to temptation. Psalm 32, verse 5, I made my sins known to you. That's prayer. And I did not cover up my guilt. I decided to confess them. That's prayer to you, O Lord. Then you forgave all my sins. Psalm 51 verse 10. 
This is a prayer. It's the prayer that David prayed after committing adultery with Bathsheba. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So it's a prayer. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins, that's prayer. If we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. And it is perfectly proper for God to do this for us because Christ died to wash away our sins. Hallelujah for that. He died to do this for us. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, he's talking to us, I am telling you this so that you will stay away from sin. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you would not sin, but if you sin. He says, I'm trying to help you to understand not to fall down, but if you fall down, if you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God, and he is the forgiveness for our sins, and not only ours, but all the world. What a beautiful passage. So here is your lesson. How do you get up when you've fallen down so that you lessen your, 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 your mistakes, so that you grow through them? I'll give you four words, and they're based upon an acronym called RISE, R-I-S-E. Here's what you do. Remember this. Carry it with you. Let it get in your heart and mind. Four things you do when you fail. Whatever failure you make in life, this will rescue from any, you from any failure. Number one, you repent. What is repentance? Repentance is saying, God, I am really sorry that I just did what I did. I'm sorry I said what I said. I'm sorry I did what I did. I'm sorry that I engaged in that behavior. I'm sorry I had that attitude. God, I am genuinely sorry. Now, notice something. Repentance, true repentance, is not feeling sorry that you got caught doing something. Real repentance is, I'm sorry I did something, okay? It's in your heart. The Bible says godly sorrow produces repentance. So I'm sorry deeply, God, that I've hurt you, that I've hurt your holiness. I've hurt your heart, God, by sinning against you. So it's called repentance and the willingness to now turn away from that. Say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I stands for invite. Invite God's forgiveness. God, I'm sorry for my sins. Now I, I'm inviting you to forgive me. I'm confessing my sins to you and I'm asking for your forgiveness. So repentance, invitation for cleansing, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew in me a right spirit. Wash me from my sin. S, stop. Everybody say stop. What do you stop? You stop, obviously, the sin, but you also stop the voices of condemnation in your life. I want to talk about this just for a moment. When you mess up and you're really sorry about it, even when you ask God for forgiveness, there's something the enemy loves to do. There are two voices that you have to deal with. Number one, the voice of the, of the devil, Satan. He will come and tell you, God didn't forgive you. God didn't cleanse you of that. You're, you're, you're worthless as a Christian. You're never going to make it. And the enemy presses in upon our mind and tries to tell us that we're no good, that we'll never be of any use to God. And there's another voice that will show up in your life. It's the voice of yourself. Sometimes the devil doesn't even have to speak. You speak for yourself. You start telling yourself, I'm no good. I'll never be a good Christian. I mess up all the time. You begin to have that condemnation that settles upon you. And folks, let me remind you today that once God forgives you of your sins, when you ask him, when you repent, and you ask him to forgive you, you invite his forgiveness, the beautiful thing about God, we read it a moment ago, is that he forgives you. 
He wipes it away. He cleanses it away. He doesn't. The blood of Jesus covers your sin. Isn't that great to know? And God then applies to you the righteousness of Christ there in that moment. And the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to beat yourself up, and certainly you don't have to allow the enemy to beat you up. Because you're standing now, having asked God to forgive you with true repentance in your heart, you're standing now in the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great to know? And so when those voices come to you telling you you're not worthy, you're never going to make it anymore, like how terrible you are, you rise up and say, no, in Jesus' name, I am covered by Christ's blood. No, in Jesus' name, I am forgiven. No, in Jesus' name, he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, and he has declared me free and forgiven. All those things that I did, they don't exist anymore because God has washed them away. He's taken them from me. He is now, he doesn't remember them anymore. I do not live in condemnation. I live in freedom in Jesus Christ. Christ. That's important to grasp because as long as you're condemned, you'll stay down. It's only when you stop the voices of condemnation that you can rise up. And dear one today, notice, note this, no matter what you have done in your life, what mistakes that you've made in your life, whatever it has been, I promise you this, if you'll press into God, if you'll learn to lean into Him, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's a new day. There's a new start. There's a new horizon. There's a new beginning because Jesus died so you can experience that freely and fully in your life. So don't let the enemy press you down and tell you you're worthless. No, you're not worthless. Jesus gave his life for you. So yes, you repent and you invite God to forgive you, but you stop those voices of condemnation. You say no to the voice of the adversary and no to your voice that is not allowing you to receive forgiveness. And you, for, you receive God's forgiveness and forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Repent, invite Stop, and here's the last one, E, emerge stronger and wiser. That when you get up out of your failure, you get up and you're stronger than you were before and you're wiser than you were before. See, the, the most foolish thing that you can ever do in your life is not make a mistake. The most foolish thing you'll ever do in your life is not learn from your mistakes. I see people, they just do the same dumb stuff over and over again. It's like, would you please wake up and pay attention to what you're doing, okay? They do the same foolish things over and over again. What God wants you is, is see, a failure can be a stepping stone to an education, right? You learn something from it. And so what, I, what you need to do is when you come away from that, say, God, what can I learn from this that will help me to be stronger as I go forward in my spiritual journey? So to move beyond, to overcome temptation, you have to learn to pray. Jesus said, pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We're so very grateful for you speaking to our hearts and lives. We ask you'll take this word and settle it deeply within us, God. Help us to pray our way, Lord, through the temptations of life. And I pray for that person here this morning that's struggling with a massive temptation right now. I pray, God, that today will be their turning point. That, Lord, they were in church this day for this moment because, Lord, you're saving them from a life of pain by what, they're, what they've heard today. Help them to apply it. We pray all of us to apply it. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.